Locked On Texans, your daily Houston Texans podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another installment of Locked On Texans, your daily podcast covering the Houston Texans. And before I hand it off to my co-host, I just want to say really quick that the game against the Packers might have been the most frustrating game I ever witnessed as a reporter and as a just a fan of this franchise in general. And yes, I know the Texans have had some worse games in the past, but at least there was reason behind their bad play before. You know, it was probably injuries. It was probably, you know, not having a franchise quarterback or just if you want to take it further back to the mid to late 2000s, still being a, a new franchise trying to find their way in this league. However, when you look at the Houston Texans in 2020, it really do not make no sense how bad they are. And with that being said, I'm alone with my partner in crime. Uh, well, first and foremost, this football season will be different, and that's because Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch it this season. Could be on your phone, your laptop, or the TV. Pepsi is going to be here. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. I'm officially a member after I, I put myself on a self-imposed IR because of a herniated disc injury. But Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. That's why I'm okay. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Go to madeforfootballwatching.com to check out the latest football watching content from Pepsi. And I'm John Summer Sports Guy Hickman, and we are here to discuss another disappointing recap Sunday's matchup where your Houston Texans suffered defeat by the Green Bay Packers 35-20 at home in front of fans of 13,000. The Texans allowed Aaron Rodgers to have a field day while taking on an already struggling defense that did not have Bradley Roby. Aaron Rodgers threw for 283 yards and four touchdowns with the bulk of those yards and touchdowns coming from Devontae Adams, who caught 13 receptions for 196 yards and two tugs. The Packers were 4 for 4 in the red zone and facing little to no pressure throughout the game as Houston didn't register a sack, a pass deflection, or an interception. Green Bay had scoring drives of 10, 10 plays for 75 yards, 9 plays for 88 yards, 9 plays for 69 yards, 8 plays for 75 yards, and seven plays for 46 yards, all of which they scored on. Houston's rushing attack or lack thereof continued to be a problem as the team recorded only 79 yards on 22 attempts, averaging 3.6 per carry. Deshaun Watson had a very good day, relatively. He threw for 309 yards and two touchdowns. Randall Cobb, who took on his old team, caught eight catches, for 95 yards. After the game, the frustration continued with an angry J.J. Watt who said he's frustrated and angry and it sucks. He also continued with, I don't know how else I'm supposed to feel when asked about his emotions after the loss. Cody, I, I know we're going to recap yesterday's game, but on this Monday, logically, and we're going to have this conversation throughout the week with guests that are going to come on to the show, like Brendan Scott from 610. And we also have Quincy Avery, Deshaun Washington's quarterback coach. He will be joining us. But logically, is it time to blow up 
what you can if you're Cal McNair and this organization who does not have a GM? That's a question that I want to I want to put out there on this Monday, right? And just briefly, just briefly, I just want to hear a yes or no from you on your thoughts, and then we can really explore that throughout the entire week. But is it time? Yes, plain and simple. The performance that they showcased on yesterday, like I mentioned, and and, and I know here at Locked On, we have protocols we have to follow. We have to shout out our sponsors and stuff first. But the frustration I had watching this team play on yesterday, I literally came to the conclusion it is time to blow this team up. It's time to blow this team up. And for the 100th time, play your young guys Use the 2020 season as a red shirt year. Now, later on, we're going to talk about the defense. We're going to talk about the offense, what, how bad they looked, and what changes need to be made. But before we get into all that, as frustrating as it was watching the Texans play, this team on yesterday has so many unlucky breaks this game, mainly due to penalties. It seemed like every single time they was trending in the right direction, Houston would get hit with a holding call, whether it was a legal contact or whatever the case might be. It always came at the wrong time. Just go back to the very first defensive drive of the day. The Texans nearly held the Packers to a three and out, which should have ended in a sack for Whitney Merciless on Aaron Rodgers. And then Eric Murray got hit with a penalty call for illegal use of his hands. I just wanted to point that out and show that's how much of a bad luck it was for the Houston Texans on yesterday. And perhaps just maybe if it wasn't for those number of penalties that they had, the Texans might have had a better chance of winning this game might because the penalties kept coming at the worst time. But John, back to your question at the end of the game, matter of fact, before the end of the game, let's say by halftime when it was down, I believe it was 21, nothing. I said to myself, it is time for them to make some kind of changes. They they need to make some major changes now. And the worst part about it all, the number one change I would like to see them make, departing from David Johnson, you're not going to be able to make that change. You know, absolutely. You're not going to be able, able to make a change for aging running back who's dealt with multiple injuries in his career, and he's making $12.5 million. But I will say I cannot wait to talk about the offense and what I saw, not only in yesterday's game, but as I go back and watch film throughout the entire season, there's something I'm seeing as a trend with this offense and how it's not totally on David Johnson. But, you know, you hit it at playing the younger guys, please see what you have. Uh, I think when you look at this receiving core, you have Will Fuller, you have Randall Cobb, who, who signed on for three years, guaranteed of $18 million. You traded for Brandon Cooks, gave up a second round pick, uh, and he's had a, a very good up and down year, but he's exactly where I kind of thought he would be, and he's getting that rhythm. Uh, Jordan Akins is out. Darren Fells was a, was a, you know, a no-show. Uh, a lot of ups and downs and changes with this receiving core. We understand it, and DeAndre Hopkins just looks so phenomenal and fun over in Arizona, doesn't he? Right. But oh, we got David Johnson back in that second round pick. And so there are changes that need to be made. No question. On both sides of the ball. And so here's some other questions that I want to give to the listeners out there and you as well, Cody. Uh, well, 
why the most important and maybe the overlooked screw up this entire offseason, why it wasn't necessarily trading DeAndre Hopkins, why it wasn't necessarily letting DJ Reader walk, but why it was firing your cap specialist. The Texans have several contracts that are terrible and not worthy of mid-round draft picks, right? And on top of that, the Texans are notoriously known for not being able to draft very well past the second round. Let's get that straight. So with your past of not being able to draft pretty good in, in, the, in the past the third round, right? You got a Jim and Charles who last year in the fourth round. Um, but over the course of your franchise entirety, you haven't been able to draft pretty well in, the, in those later rounds, right? And, and, and so now you're going to have to really depend on scouting because the first time you pick next year will be in the third round because the Miami Dolphins own first and second. And why no coordinator or assistant coach should return next year. I, I gave whatever I could to Anthony Weaver credit, and I do believe even what was going on, his hands were tied because of what Bill O'Brien did or the lack thereof of bringing in talent. However, after the display that we've seen the last three to four games, bad communication, trying to throw guys in and get something out of nothing. I think whenever the GM comes in, whoever you sign at GM, whenever they find their head coach, nobody should return. Nobody should return. And so those are some of the conversations that we really need to have. Not only just for today, I'm just putting that out there, but for the rest of the week, how this entire franchise no one man should have all that power. Kanye West said that, and it's kind of funny that it was coming from Kanye West uh, 10 years ago uh, on My Beautiful Twisted Dark Fantasy. But Bill O'Brien is gone. He's been gone for what, three weeks now? Yep, and he is weeks. still causing issues in and out and all around this organization off 16 and Kirby. And when you have a defense that allows 10 plays for 75 yards, nine for 88, there's a problem. And you want to and you want to know what what sums up the first seven games throughout this season? David Johnson's fumble at the end of the game. That pretty much sums up how this season has been going. And you want to know what else sums up the frustration behind this team? In season so far, if you go through and if you look at every damn near every response in the Texans press conference, everybody says one word it starts with an F. Frustrating. We're going to talk about the offense coming up next. Cannot wait to discuss what Cody and I seen against the Green Bay Packers on Sunday. Thanks to the lack of natural athleticism or commitment, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they will join another league, the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are real generational talent that Pepsi fuels. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Now switching over to the offensive side of the ball. Look, it's the same thing every single week and john i do believe if you and i were to take any recap we did outside of the jacksonville jaguars game and 
let's say the Pittsburgh Steelers game, and all you and I did was just insert Packers every time we say Steelers, nobody would know the difference because they're still having the same damn problem. And it's the same three things on offense. Slow start. Slow start. Run game non-existent. Non-existent. And inconsistency. And unlike the first six games, well, I'm going to just say five, you know, excluding the Jacksonville Jaguars game, this offensive performance right here was very disappointing because when you take a look at the steps that the Texans made the last two games, it's very disheartening to see how far they've fallen this game. I'm glad you made that point. I'm and, glad you made that point. And, and look, all you just just look at what they did against the Packers. 20 points for a total of 365 yards. The last two games prior to that, 33 points with an average of 449 total yards. And the sluggish offensive performance that we watched on Sunday, it started literally the very first drive of the game. And John, I thought this, this area of the game was getting better, but it's not. The play calling, it's still a problem. And I don't understand why Tim Kelly is trying to run the ball on third and one when you have a guy like Deshaun Watson on your side. Can I, can Look, I say something for a moment? So you're making a very good point, and, and I'm glad you are, which everybody's seeing, by the way. When, we, when we're in crucial moments and situations, and I think once you start the season off 0-4, every game, every drive, every down, it's crucial and important, right? And, and we look at what the Green Bay Packers did, and I mentioned it early on in the show, 10 plays, 75 yards uh, scoring, nine plays for 88, nine plays for 69. But I'm going to counter what Houston was doing on offense. Three plays for eight yards, punt. Six plays for 28 yards, punt. Six plays for 15 yards, punt. Nine plays, 76 yards, missed field goal. One play, three yards, that was at the end of the half. But the inconsistency of not being able to establish your offense is what's, like you said, Cody, disheartening. And to put it like this, when the Texans got the ball the first time, right, the very first, first and 10, Deshaun Watson passed to Will Fuller for five yards. Then David Johnson ran for four yards. Third and one, Cody. Duke Johnson ran towards the left side for a negative one yard. And then I'm going to go again. They get the first on the next time. Third and one, Deshaun Watson passes to Kenny Stills for 16 yards. That's on third and one. They're still not able to establish a, a run game, and then they have to punt after only getting 16 yards. It's just, it's frustrating. It's, it's disheartening, as you put it. The way I saw it, those first two drives of the game, I already knew right then and there, the Texans' offense was going to be trash the rest of the day. And look, I get what Tim Kelly is trying to do. You are trying to establish this team to have a balanced offense. But at the end of the day, you do not have the personnel to do that. Going back to that very first drive they had, 
when it was third and one and you ran the ball with Duke Johnson, why not let Deshaun Watson create something in order to get that first down to avoid another three and out or more importantly, another scoreless drive to open up the game? Listen, I'm nowhere near an off a uh, football guru or offensive coordinator or whatever you want to call it. But I do understand at the end of the day, yes, we know how athletic Deshaun Watson is. But at the same time, you have to save him from himself. I understand you don't want him running around like a Michael Vick or a Cam Newton. But at the same time, you have to let him go out there and use his talent when it's something so simple as a third and one. Because no disrespect to David and Duke Johnson. No disrespect to the Johnson brothers. But I 100% have more faith in the, in Deshaun Watson picking up that extra one yard than those two guys. And the way I'm looking at it is you never know. If you get that first down, if you let Deshaun Watson go out there and cook, maybe you end this first drive with a score, even up the game 7-7. Even if you don't score, at least you will have the opportunity to let your offense go out and establish some kind of momentum that could have carried you over from the first quarter to the first half, possibly for the rest of the game. I don't understand why they keep forcing all these running rushing plays when it's not working. I will say I did like that they were making an a effort, a very good effort, to get David Johnson involved in the passing game. David Johnson uh, ended the game with four catches for 42 yards and a touchdown, along with his 14 attempts and 42 yards on the ground. I think overall that's what we were looking for the entire time was to get him involved in the passing game. And, and if we look at Houston's previous games, let's go straight to the Tennessee Titan game. David Johnson only had one catch for 12 yards, right? Not really effective. And, and that's not what we were hearing throughout the entire offseason about how they were going to be utilized, Duke and David Johnson, mind you, but specifically talking about David Johnson, how he was going to be utilized in the passing game. Now, we know we took on the Jacksonville Jaguars. The first game, Houston scored 30, won that game 30 to 14. But also in that game, uh, David Johnson only had one catch for 11 yards. I'm sorry, one catch for two catches for seven yards. Not effective for this offense. And if we go back a little bit more to the Minnesota Vikings, David Johnson had two catches for 29 yards. So a little bit better, but not exactly what we were expecting because of what we were told because of the, the sweet, blissful lies we were told by, you know, our head coach at the time, Bill O'Brien slash GM, uh, Tim Kelly, how it was very important and imperative to make sure that everybody understands that there's no replacing DeAndre Hopkins. Everybody must do it together. And it was a huge emphasis on getting David Johnson involved. We really didn't see that in the past. We saw a little bit of it yesterday, and I liked that part. I scored a touchdown receiving, and that was good. But I want to go to the offensive line for a little minute. And contrary to the popular belief that David Johnson hasn't been good, which he hasn't, the Texas O-line hasn't really given him much to work with. Houston's offensive line doesn't create much push off the snap at the line of scrimmage. And if there was any game to see the evidence for that, it was yesterday. 16% of the time, they are allowing David Johnson to get stuffed at the line of scrimmage. And when I say stuffed, that means he's either getting met right at the line of scrimmage, maybe a yard above the line of scrimmage or in the backfield. 
That's happening 16% of the time they run the ball. And Houston only runs the ball 39% of their plays. And they rank 30 in second level yards with 1.01 and rank 25th in running yards of 10 or more. Earlier in the show, I mentioned how no coordinator or assistant coach should come back. And I want to shout out to my boy, Evan Phillips. He has his own podcast called Feeling Stacks. You can catch that on Apple Podcasts. But he is an offensive lineman who plays some collegiate level ball. And me and him have been talking about this for maybe the past four, three to four years. Mike Devlin has to go. Whatever he's doing at practice, which, by the way, Brandon Cooks mentioned that we need more consistency at practice. Don't really know what's going on at practice. And with everything that's going around this organization, I I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if there's a lot of drama internally with the players. But Mike Devlin has to go. You are telling me that you brought in a running back that you knew had injury problems and really hadn't been himself when he was on the field in a very long time. And you're not able to coach these guys up to get some push at the line of scrimmage. So we can't really put everything on David Johnson. That would be unfair. When you're getting hit 16% of the time, when you're only running the ball 39% of of your plays, if you're getting stuffed at the line of scrimmage before you can really make a move, as my favorite rapper would say, is it Uchiwali or one mic? Where do you really point the blame? David Johnson has been bad, but he also hasn't had a lot to work with. And when you don't have a lot to work with, and you've and not only do you not have a lot to work with, with what you are designated to do, you haven't been utilized in your full skill set consistently. That screams problems for an offense that struggled early on and can't seem to get their juices going, their mojo, their rhythm going. There's so much wrong with this team. So much wrong with this team, man. I told you guys about Bill Bar, how great Bill Bar is, but also left out some very important details that you need to know. They have 18 amazing flavors, including nut and non-nut flavors, six new flavors, which includes my favorite, the caramel brownie, along with the cookies and cream. My grandmother loves that one. They still have the 12 original flavors, the raspberry, the German chocolate, along with the peanut butter. The bars are covered in 100% chocolate, soft, and easy to chew. And this is for the healthy, conscious guy like myself who wants to lose weight but doesn't want to give up a lot of the sweets, right? You can lose and maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. The bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high-fiber. And great for a keto diet. And here's another thing Bill Bar is doing for their customers right now. You get a free cooler with the purchase while supplies last, which is only for a few weeks or so. So, so go ahead and hop on that right now. Go to BillBar.com and use promo code Locked On, and you'll get $10 off your next order. Again, use promo code Locked On to get $10 off your next order. Hey, Michael, how much did the loss of Bradley Roby hurt the secondary today from your perspective? Uh, when you lose your, uh, what's up, Cody? Great question. Uh, when you lose your starting corner like that, I mean, it's going to affect you. You had a guy, you know, who may may have been, you know, uh, playing and, uh, you know, part of our game plan to, to shadow Devontae Adams the whole game. And then, you know, other guys are practicing to go or some other guys, right? But then he goes down in the first, very first series. And now we got to make, you know, mad shifts, mad adjustments. Uh, and then as any, you know, 
you know, player or I guess anybody in their job that you can know anytime you have to make adjustments, if you're not prepared, you know, and you don't have the right mindset, then, you know, some, you're probably not going to get the, the right results you want. So, I mean, we had guys that went out there and they battled, they competed. And, uh, you know, we needed to make a couple adjustments, make some game plans, uh, changes. And we did throughout the course of the game. Maybe we could have did a little sooner, but you definitely miss a guy like Roby. You, you know, you plan on having your number one guy go against their number one guy all the time. As frustrating as it was to watch the offense on yesterday, as always, nothing beats watching the Texans defense. However, I do want to mention the best part about the Texans defense playing against the Packers was the fact that they held Green Bay to 96 rushing yards. And we're talking about a team who came into Sunday's game, ranked seventh in the league in rushing yards, averaging 139 yards on the ground per game. Of course, the biggest reason of the success they had at stopping the run on yesterday was the fact that Aaron Jones, the Packers starting running back, was not playing. That's good and all. Houston did find some success. But at the end of the day, Green Bay did not need to beat Houston by running the ball. And everything that I was afraid of all this week when Aaron Rodgers coming inside NRG Stadium playing against the subpar secondary came to light. John, as you mentioned, Adams, a career high, I might add, 196 yards, two touchdowns off of 13 catches. The worst part about this defense, the secondary more than anything, the Texans allow Rodgers and Adams to basically beat them two on 11. And I say that because Aaron Rodgers continued to target Adams. And Houston had no answer for him. Rather, it didn't matter what they did. They had no answer for them. And everybody, it got to the point. Everybody knew what Aaron Rodgers was going to throw the damn ball, and they still could not stop it. Adams had 16 targets on yesterday. The next guy with the second most targets, Jamal Williams with five. But at the end of the day, you're talking about one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. So kudos to Aaron Rodgers from, for taking advantage of a depleted secondary with Bradley Roby out with a knee injury. And you guys heard Michael Thomas at this opening segment that I just played when I asked him how much of a factor not having Bradley Roby hurt their chances out there. And he said it. Anytime you have to make adjustments and you are not prepared, you're probably not going to get the results you want. And once again, what we saw yesterday shows the lack of depth and talent that the Houston Texans have on defense, but more so with their secondary. Yeah, I don't know why Phillip Gaines is is still getting playing time. And then we saw Keon Cross and get some playing time. And, and then Vernon Hargraves, who in moments has had bright spots, but he's just not good at consistently, at least, at, at but, his but, job. But John Reed, a healthy scratch. But John Reed is you're right. John Reed is a healthy scratch, and I think, I think overall after yesterday's game, we will see at least we should more of the younger guys. I think we will see more of Jonathan Gennard. We will see more of John John Reed. I'm not sure we will see any of Isaiah Coulter this year, and, and honestly, we don't really need to because our receiving core has been pretty decent, especially in the last three games. And Deshaun Watson over 300 yards in the last three games uh, each. And uh, I think he has accounted for 11 or 12 touchdowns in the last three games or something along those lines. So the receiving court has been pretty good. But defensively, Jonathan Gennard and uh, John Reed should definitely see some playing time, increased playing time in their role, expanded before this year is out. 
Um, but defensively, the Houston Texans are allowing 57% of the red zone. That's terrible. And so far, not including yesterday's game, they went into yesterday's game with 54 missed tackles. Make that whatever you want. Whatever you're going to make it is going to be bad, I'm sure of it. But, you know, we have Gary on Conley, who I was very big on coming into this year. He hasn't played this year. And I think he will return as Houston's a free agent signee next year, unless he chooses to go elsewhere. Uh, but we gave Vernon Hargraves an opportunity to prove himself. You know, he had a very rough start in Tampa Bay, actually had bright spots last year, but he's just not an outside corner. And at this point, it seems like his role, maybe if he wasn't on Houston, it would have been diminished down to special teams or just strictly nickel. Uh, Bradley Roby was out. And when you have your top cornerback out who Romeo Cornell spoke on by saying he doesn't think it's major, he will get more tests on Monday. So when we judge what Houston was able to do or lack thereof yesterday, I mentioned it early in the show because we knew after basically week two, we knew this secondary was going to be weak. We challenged the Jacob Martins. We challenged Charles Omenehu. We challenged uh, P.J. Hall. We challenged our linebacking core. We, we, we challenged everybody on the defensive front, the front seven, to create pressure in order to make the DB's job easier, in order to make the secondary have an opportunity to make plays. And yesterday, when you do not get a sack, one QB hit, that's going to lead to no pass deflections. That's going to lead to no interception. Now, like you mentioned, one was called back due to uh, due to a penalty, but that shouldn't be the only positive from yesterday. It shouldn't have been, oh, we would have got it if it wasn't a penalty. You should have been able to get more. Now, John, I do want to piggyback off of something that you have been talking about throughout this whole entire show, and that's the lack of sacks and the lack of pressure that the Texans were able to get on Aaron Rodgers in this game. And that says a lot. What does it say? Once again, the lack of talent and the lack of depth that they have on that front seven. And I was so frustrated by how weak they look because you're looking at the Green Bay Packers and they were playing without their most important piece on the offensive line and David Bottiari. He was out. And Houston, they, they barely got any rushes. Now I'm going to have to go back. Hopefully tomorrow I have the answer for you guys. I'm going to have to see how many times they was actually able to rush him, but it wasn't enough. And like you say, they did not get any sacks. And you're talking about an offensive line without David, their most important offensive lineman, by the way, they gave up four sacks last week in the loss against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, of course, I know the Texans defense is nowhere near as good as Tampa Bay's. But at the end of the day, I really thought that with David being out, and you, of course, you still have J.J. Watt. I really thought that that could have been a point of emphasis that the Texans can use to exploit in hopes of pulling off an upset. Because we all know in order to stop Green Bay, you have to get after Aaron Rodgers. You have to make him uncomfortable. Now, of course, it's easier said than done. But when Green Bay don't have their most important offensive lineman, and you can't even get a sack, that says a lot. I, I want to say it does say a lot, but then again, I want to say that it doesn't say a lot because it, for, for it to say a lot would mean I'm, I'm not used to seeing it. And the thing about this defense is when they are hot 
or when they are able to take advantage of a situation, they look pretty good. You know, Whitney Merciless had three sacks in two weeks for a stretch. Charles Romanen, who was able to get a couple sacks. J.J. Watt, number 99, has his 99 sack. And I really hope that I – I was hoping that 99 would get 100 in the Texans jersey, and I believe that he will. I don't think Houston will trade him, even though I think that's the best route to go. Uh, but ultimately, you know, we haven't seen consistent pressure. And we damn sure haven't seen nobody really make turnovers consistently with one interception on the year. The statement I would say to wrap up how I feel about this defense right now is it is what it is. And what is it, Cody? Just one word. What is it? The word of the day coming out of the Texans press conference. Frustrating. And it is what it is. I'm John, some sports guy Hickman. Happy to do the show. Uh, you guys are frustrated at home, in the car, at the grocery store, picking up the kids. And, you know, it doesn't matter where you are. You're frustrated while listening to the show. You're frustrated while watching the product. And I would hate for you to record the game because you had to work just to get off and try to enjoy your Sunday night and get frustrated again. But I'm pretty sure that's going to happen if that was you, that was the case for you. Also, DeAndre Hopkins looks so good in red. Not the Houston red. I mean, he did look good in Houston red, but, I mean, in Arizona. But, I mean, what we'd give to get him back, right? Because if we get him back, we wouldn't have David Johnson. And we will still have something to look forward to in the future. But, Again, I am Johnson Sports Guy Hickman. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On Texans and like us on Facebook. You can find this podcast on every major podcasting platform. That's Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, and Spotify. And as always, I'm your host, Cody Davis. Please remember to follow me on Twitter at Cody Davis underscore 24. Once again, that's Cody C-O-T-Y D-A-V-I-S underscore 24. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, peace. You are Locked On Texans, your daily podcast on the Houston Texans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.